Man of Steel Answers Insight Commentary Episode 71 Doomsday Part 4 I have so many questions. Then of course there's the question on everyone's mind. Then I'll ask the obvious question. Start asking questions. You're the answer, son. Welcome to Mosaic. I'm Doc, and I cover a mosaic of topics for fans who love the Man of Steel and look forwards to the future while learning from the past. This episode breaks down fighting Doomsday from the perspective of our heroes to combat some common complaints and criticisms. This show dives deep into DC Films for answers and insights as we celebrate the films that give us so much. Reasonable minds will differ, but this is a show for fans who love DC films and who love to chew their food. Alright, welcome back. In this part of our past recording, it's mostly miscellaneous questions. You're the answer, son. What question am I on? Uh, one, two, three, four, five. So, six. I think I'm on six. Uh, so, question number six. Why didn't Batman bring the spear to Doomsday instead of bringing Doomsday to Gotham? It would be easy to brush off the question with Batman's express dialogue. It's Kryptonian. Only Kryptonite weapons can kill it. They might if you had any left. The spear. Alfred, the spear. It's pure Kryptonite. It's back in Gotham. If I can penetrate the skin, the spear will kill it. It would in theory. I gotta get it to chase me. Back to the city. Back to the Kryptonite. Why did you bring him back to the city? The port is abandoned. There's a weapon here that can kill it. But while Batman discusses what motivates his decision to do what he did, he doesn't explain his rejection of the alternative. And again, critics, reasoning in retrospect, see how hard it was to retrieve the spear while Doomsday was hot on his tail. So they wonder why Batman didn't just get the spear without worrying about Doomsday, and then bring it to where Doomsday would be after securing the spear. Well, we'll get to that in a little bit. I do want to make some observations about the clip we just played. One, Bruce claims that the spear is pure kryptonite, and this is another Another piece of evidence that he could not have made an effective alloy out of kryptonite without compromising its effectiveness. Put another way, if Batman could have made an equally effective kryptonite alloy with all the material properties he wanted, wouldn't he have done so? The fact that he relies upon kryptonite in its pure form suggests alloys would fail to deliver the properties that he needs. These are the facts on the ground, the particulars of the case, the actual issues. Just because a critic can raise the concept of an alloy doesn't make the criticism valid. We can't just magically make alloys out of anything with all the properties that we want. Material science is limited by materials and science. <laughs> Okay, two, note Alfred's comment, it would in theory, which is important to note. They are fighting this monster on its timetable, not theirs. Information is imperfect. They are acting on theory, supposition, intuition, and inference, not a place of absolute knowledge, confidence, and certainty. And that's how it is when you start to slay dragons, when you leave the safety of the ordinary world and cross the threshold into the adventure of the unknown. The call requires you step into action before you could be said to be completely 
completely ready. This is distinguishable and distinct from our judgment and prejudice towards people where we set the pace of our attitudes, our vulnerability, our trust. I emphasize this because their logic isn't perfect, but it's reasonable and workable, which is about as much as we can ask from anybody in an emergency situation. We can argue that their dependence on kryptonite was wrong. After all, Doomsday arguably reacted differently to a nuke than Superman did. So it may be the case that Doomsday isn't vulnerable to kryptonite like Superman is. Nonetheless, we don't know what we don't know, and we act on the best intelligence we have at the time. In story, Batman is better versed in kryptonite and its capabilities than any of us are as outside observers. To build his weapon and wield it with intention, he had to know its specs. He must have pored over Lex's research and findings, done his best to understand its science and mechanisms. Otherwise, it would have been a fool's errand to try and fight Superman at all. Instead, his research, planning, prep, and magic trick practically pulled it off. So if Batman's knowledge is enough to give him confidence that the attributes of kryptonite might carry over to any Kryptonian, even mutated and deformed, he has better cause to do so than we have reason to doubt or criticize. His perspective on the matter is richer than ours, and if we exercise theory of mind, we'd know that rather than think better of our own judgments. But again, this is still theory, as Alfred points out, not certainty. Okay, thanks for indulging that detour. I'm already having headaches imagining how I'll ever edit this coherently. <laughs> so back to the critics' question, why is it better to bring Doomsday to the spear than go to the spear first? Honestly, we don't know, not for a fact, but let me posit this possible theory. It seems almost entirely to limit the collateral damage Doomsday could cause in the meantime. The moment Doomsday made it out of the ship, where was one of the first places he went? Right to the top of LexCorp Tower, which by virtue of its height would have been the most densely packed part of downtown Metropolis. No other block or building would house as many bodies stacked upon bodies in the same square foot radius. And that suggests that undistracted, Doomsday is drawn to population centers and possibly causing the maximum amount of casualties, literally thousands of lives at stake. Now, ideally, Batman would open communications to the military and tell them he has a weapon capable of killing Doomsday, but he needs air support to distract Doomsday until he can retrieve the weapon. But the film actually accounts for this. The military's immediate response, the Apaches have already been downed by Doomsday, and they've concluded that they can't intervene and closed Metropolis airspace. Metropolis airspace has been closed briefly. Excuse me? Kindly ask you to stay in your seats. Excuse me? Miss Prince! This means that there's nothing in the air or inbound to assist, and by the time things get off the ground, Doomsday could already be in the heart of Gotham or in inhabited Metropolis. Again, thousands of lives at stake. So expediency requires Batman distract Doomsday in the here and now to avoid those possible collateral costs. Not just to find and secure the spear to end the threat, but also save all those who'd be lost Doomsday while Batman was seeking the spear on his own. The film never says this expressly, but I think it's a plausible reason. And again, incomplete information isn't a defect because it's reality. In the real world, people don't walk through every avenue of their decision-making verbally for the sake of unseen critics questioning their every move. That isn't how people act, nor is it how you should expect them to act. BVS isn't about hand-holding the audience through their misconceptions, assumptions, prejudices, and demands. It's the artful conveyance of what happened in a way that demands you re-examine those things. The fact that we're still talking about the tornado scene, super 
Superman stopping Zod or Batman killing makes it clear that the intention isn't to pander to preconceptions, but to challenge them, engage in critical thinking and active empathy. Not simply the manipulation of our emotions that we passively receive, but an active dialogue between the audience and the work, the labor and effort of theory of mind, such that we exercise it in the real world as well. I know I'm repeating myself, but that's because the criticism is endlessly repeated that BVS didn't deliver this or that in this or that expected, digested, clear, or convincing way, when that wasn't the intention or the only valid way of making a movie. People expecting life to come at them the way detractors expect movies to be spoon-fed to them are gonna be disappointed. Works can be challenging, just as life is, and rewarding, just as life is. Okay, back to the Q&A. Question, why didn't Batman immediately go for the spear? So, I guess the gist of this question is again trying to avoid the outcome where Superman ends up with the spear. The point is, if Batman is impotent against Doomsday, why isn't he doing the thing that he had set out to do in the first place? Well, remember that the reason he sets out to kill Doomsday in the first place is because he was doing it alone. Superman seems to have been lost in the nuke and the military are MIA, so Batman is looking for the best and only solution that he, a mere mortal man, might be able to use. By the time he's saved by Wonder Woman, who he thinks might be with Superman, and then joined by Superman, that situation changes. The death of Zod proves that Kryptonians can kill Kryptonians. And here, Batman is joined by one confirmed Kryptonian and one Kryptonian-caliber woman, able to withstand and defend against Doomsday's attacks. It's only natural that the spear loses some of its priority, especially as Superman Man makes it clear he'll take responsibility, and Wonder Woman declares her confidence in being able to kill it. There's also the issue of impossibility on several different fronts. We don't know the distance or time for certain, but we can estimate, and it seems like the spear is a little too far to run to. It might be fine if we were talking about optimal conditions in a non-combat zone over even terrain and in a straight line, but that's not what we have. The battlefield is ablaze with fire, littered with rubble and debris. All the while, Doomsday is an active threat on two fronts, trying to directly hit Batman, who is just barely able to escape, and with his intermittent super flares, which would be lethal to Batman if hit. Now, runtime rarely equals real time, as cuts can be concurrent or consecutive, in whole or in part, not to mention cinematic or narrative time need not be literal, and can be stretched or squashed any number of ways. Nonetheless, it's a better measure than nothing, and in the case of BVS, Doomsday's dome attacks go off with surprising regularity. He starts to pop off four different times and they're each separated by about four minutes. Even at a dead sprint, it's unlikely that Batman could get to the spear, find it, bring it back to Doomsday, and do anything meaningful with it before getting hit by the next flare. And so that means Batman can't go off on a dead sprint because he has to keep his eye on Doomsday to dodge incoming attacks or to take cover in case of another flare. Getting caught out in the open would be the end of him. And so the spear is off the table, and Batman bides his time looking for an opportune moment to use his last grenade. And in fact, his hit delays the last pop, which probably saved Lois's life and kept Doomsday contained just long enough that Superman could land the spear and save the day. <laughs> so all in all, not a bad decision. Okay, question, wouldn't it be obvious to Superman that Wonder Woman is the superior fighter? Answer, I mean, no? 
Sure, there's some indication that she's been in battle before and probably more competent in a fight generally, but that isn't the same as saying she'd be more effective in this particular fight against Doomsday. Setting aside subjective assessment, let's tell the tale of the tape and walk through some metrics. From the time Doomsday throws his first punch to the second thrust of the Kryptonite Spear, Doomsday is attacked 28 times. Two of those are Batman, first firing from the Batwing and later his last Kryptonite grenade. Three of those are from the military, twice attacked by helicopters and once hit by the nuke. 10 of those are Wonder Woman, and 13 of those are Superman. Out of 28 attacks, only 11 could be considered unanswered hits. Everything else was a miss, ineffective, or countered. Six of the clean hits are Superman's. Four of those clean hits are Wonder Woman's, the shield strike, the ankle cut, the wrist cut, and the lasso. Only one of those clean hits was Batman's, the kryptonite grenade. Of four of Wonder Woman's clean hits, Superman definitely sees the shield strike since he helped set it up and comboed off that down. But he doesn't see the ankle strike because he's been knocked away, and it's unclear whether he can or does see the wrist cut. He definitely sees Doomsday lighting up, but not necessarily Wonder Woman connecting. Finally, Superman makes his final charge before Wonder Woman uses her lasso, so that doesn't factor into his calculation. So adding it all up, Superman sees just one or two successful attacks by Wonder Woman before he makes his charge. On the flip side, Superman has seen that the bracelets are mostly ineffective. He sees that Wonder Woman misses her first strike. He might have seen Wonder Woman miss her leaping strike down, and he sees Doomsday swat Wonder Woman away and immediately combo into heat vision, finally swatting Wonder Woman away again before the lightning starts up again. So, overall, Superman sees Wonder Woman successful about one or two times out of seven. Superman connects with four out of eleven attacks before the final charge, and he's two for five after Wonder Woman appears before the final charge. So under either lens, from the start of the entire fight, or from when the Trinity try together, from Superman's perspective, his hit rate seems to be better than Wonder Woman's. He'd have no reason to give Wonder Woman special significance, as leaps and bounds more successful or effective than himself. And this is on a purely rational calculation, irrespective of ethical, moral, or character considerations. I'm definitely not saying that this is how Superman did or would make his decision, but if the math doesn't even back up the critics, then we're talking about a highly subjective space where the critic's conclusion is far from the only or reasonable one. We'll come back to this, but one last set of metrics. As we said, from the first punch to the final fall, Doomsday is attacked 28 different times. But Doomsday makes approximately 36 attacks, and that's between strikes, holds, throws, and special attacks. Doomsday only misses about 10 attacks. It misses counterpunching Superman in space. Its heat vision is blocked by Wonder Woman's entrance, and she catches its wrist with her sword, but the king of defense against Doomsday is Batman. Four heat vision blasts fail to connect with the Batwing, and Batman on foot dodges three attacks when Doomsday tries to chase him down. Otherwise, Doomsday's attacks are routinely successful. Asterisk. It's true that Superman takes the most punishment, but he's also engaged with Doomsday the longest, and the heaviest hits all come from getting caught in holds or throws. Getting caught in the ship leads to the volleyball spike. Getting caught at the statue leads to being slammed into it and thrown out of the park. Getting caught while fighting alongside Wonder Woman leads to that punishing soccer kick, and finally getting caught during the spear charge leads to Superman's death. 
It should be noted that neither Wonder Woman nor Batman experience Doomsday's most effective holds and throws. Bruce, because he can't and is the master of dodging, and Diana only takes strikes and heat vision blasts, which Superman is completely able to shrug off as well. In terms of durability, there's no indication that Wonder Woman would be able to break free from a hold or recover from a throw any better than Superman did, considering that Wonder Woman actually bothers to carry a shield and wear bracers and armor, it's not unreasonable to infer that they confer some utility and protection to her. That the shield isn't just an accessory that she carries around for fun, but something that actually offers defense to an otherwise vulnerability. Like, say, being pierced by small arms fire. It's entirely plausible to say that Wonder Woman would be just as dead if she had been impaled upon Doomsday Spike instead. Again, this doesn't necessarily factor into Superman's decision-making as he's lacking information and in the heat of the moment, but it stands as an example of the critics over-inflating Diana's survivability without a fair consideration of the facts. Let's fast attack a few more other alternatives proposed by the critics. These were emailed to me by three different listeners, so I suspect that they have a common source, but anyways, here are those questions. Um, why didn't Superman freeze Doomsday or send him to the Phantom Zone? Why didn't Superman use the scout ship, the sentry drones, electricity, or Doomsday's own claw? Why didn't Wonder Woman decapitate Doomsday? Why didn't Superman take Wonder Woman's sword or lasso? Why didn't Superman throw the spear? And why didn't Superman give Wonder Woman the spear? Okay, man, uh, some of these are not they're not good questions, <laughs> but let's do this. Let's get this out of the way. So question, why doesn't Superman freeze Doomsday? And he doesn't have freeze breath so far. Asking this question is importing external continuity as condemnation. You might as well ask why Superman doesn't turn back time or calm Doomsday down with a kiss. That doesn't mean we can't see these abilities later, but we can't fault the characters for not using something that they don't know about. Okay, question, why didn't Superman send Doomsday into the Phantom Zone? And again, that's importing outside continuity. In other media, the Phantom Zone projector is a device that you can bring into battle, or it's a gate that you can bring the enemy to. But in this universe, we've only seen the projector in orbit over Krypton, and that one was destroyed. The remnants of that technology were retrofitted to the Black Zero, and Cal's vessel had a Phantom drive, but both of those were destroyed in Man of Steel, along with Jor-El's command key, which was used to activate Cal's vessel. So we're only left with this scout ship which came to Earth without a phantom drive, and that means that as far as we know, there's no active, physical, working phantom drive technology on Earth as of BVS. Certainly none known to Superman to use in battle. Question, why didn't Superman use the scout ship? I'm not really sure what this question is getting at. Maybe they mean using the ship's weapons, but that ship crash-landed and was sitting at, I think, maybe 37%, something like that. And when Lex enters the Genesis chamber, you can obviously see that it's damaged inside. It's not like when we last saw it flying with Zod. If the ship could be controlled and flown, I imagine the government would have picked a more secure location than the middle of a major metropolitan downtown district. And the ship's command was also given over to Zod, and Cal's command key is gone, as we just said. So maybe the ship's weapons might be able to hurt Doomsday, but it's clear that Doomsday can and will truly hurt the ship. Superman surely can. I mean, he's punched through it. He's pushed it off course and sent it crashing. And Doomsday has already leapt out of it with ease. So it seems like using the ship is just begging to turn it into Swiss cheese. So I think I'm giving these questions a little too much credit and answering them maybe a little too earnestly, but I am who I am. And the next three are just variations on this one. Basically, why not use other vulnerabilities? 
vulnerabilities like the sentry drones, electricity, or Doomsday's own claw. And I guess what they mean by the drones is that you see Clark recoil on Ellesmere when he's whipped by the sentry. And to this day, I'm not clear what exactly happened. To some, that mark might have meant blood, but Clark's clothing hasn't been cut open, and in my opinion, Clark would be pretty fascinated by seeing his own blood for the first time if that had been the case. Instead, I think he definitely felt it, but ultimately I think it's just a singe or a scorch mark on his shirt, and given that Clark could crush that very same thing with his bare hands, it's not a viable weapon against Doomsday. In terms of electricity, I don't know where this idea comes from. Literally from conception, we've seen Doomsday living in lightning. I mean, he leaps through it to escape from the scout ship, he projects it with every evolution, and Diana goes so far to say that he feeds off of energy. And I'm led to believe that's basically the source of his initial energy. Not just Zod's solar stores, but every ounce of juice that they drained from the citywide blackout is coursing through Doomsday's body until he absorbs the energy of an atomic bomb. So it seems to me that Doomsday is not only affected by electricity, but energized by it. If Wonder Woman could come to that conclusion, Superman could too, excluding it as an avenue to attempt. And then finally, there's this really ridiculous question, why didn't Superman use Doomsday's claw? And look, I can see the germ of the idea. The point is that Doomsday's body can probably pierce itself, and it isn't poison to Superman like the kryptonite spear. So why doesn't Superman just pick up Doomsday's severed hand and use it to end Doomsday? <laughs> well, points for the morbid idea, but it's just absurd from every angle. A giant severed hand is not a viable weapon. I, I'm sorry I even have to say this, but come on, even if, for the sake of argument, Doomsday's severed hand immediately sets rigid and into this perfectly practical piercing weapon, timing is the ultimate issue. The claw isn't available until Wonder Woman cuts it off, and when she does, it sets a ticking clock for the next exponentially large blast from Doomsday. And during Superman's last charge, you can see the Gotham skyline behind him. You can make out ace chemicals and even individual windows on the buildings. It's probable that civilians are now within Doomsday's blast radius, and it's absolutely certain that that Lois, Batman, and the man-made Spear are too. If Doomsday is allowed to go off again, they perish and are lost. And Superman couldn't let that happen. From the start of the lightning show, there would only be seconds until Doomsday pops again. Wonder Woman slicing off Doomsday's hand shows that such wounds don't stop the pop. Even if the claw were the perfect piercing weapon, they need complete organ failure to stop Doomsday. And Superman knows intimately how kryptonite affects the organs, having just experienced it firsthand. So he'd still opt for the kryptonite to stop Doomsday, and that ends up being the correct course. We see that piercing Doomsday alone still doesn't stop him fast enough. Doomsday is still able to operate and stab Superman. And Superman is still able to operate and stab Doomsday again. Again, it's the kryptonite grenade that suppresses the blast temporarily, and the kryptonite spear that finishes Doomsday off. So if Superman were to stab Doomsday with a spear made of Doomsday, Doomsday still goes off. Lois dies, the kryptonite spear is destroyed, Batman and Gotham get hit, and Doomsday is still completely capable of stabbing Superman like before. <laughs> this is not a good plan, and I regret talking about it at all. <laughs> okay, next. Uh, question, why didn't Wonder Woman just decapitate Doomsday? 
<laughs> I mean, what do you think she was trying to do? That's like looking at a boxing match and saying, why doesn't Blue Corner just knock out Red? Decapitation isn't easy under normal combat conditions, say nothing of against a Kryptonian monster. And we've seen plenty of reasons that Doomsday's neck isn't an easy target. Doomsday is fast and strong and quickly combos his attacks with heat vision and thrown projectiles. He's too tall to take a hit up top, so Wonder Woman goes low with her three successful strikes, but Doomsday recovers from each of them. Any Anytime Wonder Woman goes high, she has to leap, but that means that she can't change her trajectory and Doomsday just swats her away before she's anywhere near his neck. I'm not saying Wonder Woman wouldn't eventually work out a strategy for defeating Doomsday, but not with those ever-increasing blasts putting a ticking clock on those efforts. And that's a clock that Wonder Woman abides by. If she didn't, she could have continued to watch from afar, whatever the toll on civilian casualties, and step in only after she knows exactly what to do. But instead, like Batman, like Superman, she prioritizes the safety of civilians and backed herself in believing that she had what it took to take down the threat. After all, she's the one who confidently declares she's killed things from other worlds before. She's the first one to lunge into the Trinity battle. Doomsday actually moves second compared to her, and Superman flies in third, not to attack Doomsday, but it seems to save Wonder Woman from herself. When she misses her first attack, Superman flies in, putting himself between Doomsday and Wonder Woman. And if his intent was to attack, he could have clipped Doomsday in the face or in the chin on the way in, but instead, if you look carefully, his back is to Doomsday, and he's looking down at Wonder Woman, who seems alright. And more than alright, she knocks Doomsday off his feet, and Superman takes the opportunity to drive Doomsday into the ground. And that would have been Superman's most solid-feeling hit so far. Until now, he's been pushing Doomsday around or up against the air, but when this hit goes against the ground, Doomsday would have felt the full force of that strike, and Superman might have caused to consider it possible to now knock Doomsday out and stop the threat. He couldn't do it alone, but if he could work with Wonder Woman like this and rack up some more solid hits, they might be able to put this giant to sleep. He got caught up in Wonder Woman's pace and started to chase the KO. Of course, he wouldn't know, he couldn't know, that this would be his last clean hit until the spear charge. And again, to put this into a more familiar context, it's easy to criticize and strategize in hindsight, but I don't want to hear it unless you've never lost a video game or had to redo a boss fight, that you've only ever won every single game you've ever played, every sport that you've competed in, and every contest you've participated in. When you replay a level or repeat a boss battle, you're blessed with hindsight from before. Insights and information that the Trinity don't have in their one and only meeting with Doomsday. And in the heat of battle, people make decisions and choices which they could second guess or challenge in the end, but which were completely plausible in the moment. It's not a question of competency, ability, or intelligence. You only have to watch the wide world of sports to see professionals who live and breathe their sport, but nonetheless suffer the agony of defeat in competition. In retrospect, sure, Wonder Woman may have not taken Doomsday's hand, but you shouldn't judge her decision based on an outcome she couldn't and didn't know, but instead on her knowledge at the time. Wonder Woman makes the observation that Doomsday is feeding on energy, so she was satisfied that her attacks, which rely on tissue destruction, would not feed into Doomsday's growth, evolution, and blasts. It was a target of opportunity presented when Doomsday tries to bring his fist upon her and deciding to take it 
made sense. Doomsday used his hand to catch and counter Superman and her aerial attacks. Taking Doomsday's hand would hurt him directly, reduce his offense, and lower his defense. Slicing tissue is not adding energy into a system, and so with everything she knew, it was a reasonable decision. But unfortunately, it made her privy to new information, that significant damage to Doomsday also triggers his blast attacks, and that he would recover from his lost hand by growing bony defenses. And to her credit, she seems to fight differently thereafter. After, no longer going forwards with the sword and trying to contain Doomsday with the lasso instead. So Wonder Woman took this new information and adjusted on the fly, and that's all we can ask. Not that the characters have crystal balls and actively act on future knowledge that they don't have. And that's more or less the heart of the issue with these following questions. Question, why didn't Superman take Wonder Woman's sword or lasso? Uh... Okay, so I guess the idea here is that Superman sees Wonder Woman's sword take off Doomsday's hand, and so he should know that there's an effective weapon on the battlefield that doesn't poison him, and he should use that instead. And I think this has already basically been asked and answered in the form of the claw question, but we can put a few Wonder Woman specific spins on it. So first, the arrogance and the presumption that Superman is going to be able to take Wonder Woman's weapon from her in the heat of battle and to suggest that he might have a better chance with it is not even remotely in character for either of them. Superman's not a soldier and Wonder Woman is going to have something to say about a man saying that he should have her sword. And second, Wonder Woman, the wizened warrior herself, gave up on her sword in a sense. Now, Superman doesn't know this, but if the critic is importing outside knowledge, then they know that Wonder Woman is the best fighter in the field, and she's just seen how quote-unquote effective her sword is on Doomsday. True, it cut, but it also triggered another lightning show that was likely going to end up in a blast that they couldn't afford, and she didn't think it was wise to double down on more sword slashes, but instead prayed that the magic of her lasso might contain the blast. Wonder Woman stops using her sword. Maybe it's also possible that she lost her sword in that last exchange with Doomsday, since I don't think it's on her when she's using the lasso. But basically, time is short. They need to stop the next blast. And the sword is less certain to do that than the spear. I'm not really sure what Superman is supposed to do with the lasso. It seems more offensive than the sword because the lasso is actually in her hands. She's screaming at the top of her lungs, straining to keep Doomsday contained. It's not the situation for a conversation, and the only way Superman is taking that lasso is to forcibly try and take it. And the lasso itself is a complete and utter X-factor to Superman, in a way that makes absolutely no sense for him to want to rely on it. I mean, it's a glowing rope. He doesn't know if it's glowing because of technology, or if that power is inherent to the woman who's wielding it, or some unknown magic. I mean, he doesn't really have a great relationship with glowing things, and she seems to want to use it on Doomsday. So for all he knows, it still may be poisonous and effective on him as well. The absolute arrogance of insisting that Superman should snatch the lasso from Wonder Woman is is insane. I wish I didn't have to discuss this, but there are some who have argued that if Superman were willing to kill Zod as a utilitarian, he should club Wonder Woman unconscious and take her weapon by force. I think it should be obvious that there is a difference between something out of character and in. Yeah, we've seen Clark threaten bodily harm for information, his eyes lighting up red as he demands from Lex, tell me where she is. Or even that veiled threat, she's safe on the ground, how about you? I'll take you in without breaking you, which is more than you deserve. But Clark never uses force simply because it's convenient or easy. It's the exact reverse. He uses force when there's nothing else he can do as a last resort. Wonder Woman using her own weapon is surely more viable than sucker punching her to take a stab at it himself. And it feels 
crazy that I have to address this. Okay, I'm going to cut it off right there. I've rambled on long enough. We'll come back to the rest of that recording and continue our analysis in another episode. So thanks so much for listening. If you like what you heard, please share the show and subscribe. I'm Doc, signing off. See you next time. <laughs> so you might see why this has been in the vault for so long. There's so many ideas in there, but every time I take a crack at a theme, there was just too much lost in the cut and there wasn't enough on any one theme without recording a whole bunch of new material. Nonetheless, I tried to clean it up the best I could and break it up into parts so that I can put it out and put it behind me. <laughs> So hopefully that explains the following clip. This was a ramble that I meant to put into part one, but I just forgot to. So instead of forcing it to fit into another part, it's just easier to append to the end as an extra. Anyways, here's that excerpt. Enjoy. You're the answer, son. <laughs> Man, this is a tangent to a tangent, but let me also emphasize how Kryptonite does not completely strip Superman of his powers in this film. We can see that the spear is trapped under rocks, which have got to weigh hundreds of pounds, something that a normal mortal man isn't going to be able to move in the best of circumstances, much less underwater while undergoing radiation poisoning. But Superman is able to move the rock, get to the spear, and even fly in the final charge. Lois dragging Clark out of the water is more proof that Superman weighs what a human man might, and is not composed of some hyper-dense matter to justify his strength or durability. Watching the water, Lois sees glowing green light. Superman's form comes into view, and she climbs into the pool. Struggling, she heaves his limp body out of the water. His arm falls to his side with the spear clutched in his hand. In for a penny, in for a pound. I have another footnote here that I forgot to mention earlier, but rather than regret it, I'm gonna go get it into the episode. Earlier on, we talked about how Lex's lightning show caused chaos and drew attention and would have resulted in criminal liability. Well, fiction preceding fact, two years after BVS, this actually happened within the metropolis of Manhattan. There's something happening at the ship. It's sending massive power surges. We can barely afford a bicycle. You want to chase a story? Go to the ship. Superman's probably there already. New York's major utility company is investigating an explosion at a power substation that lit up both the night sky and Twitter. The eerie blue light could be seen for miles and led to confusion and even some panic last night. Michelle Miller shows us how the light mystery fueled wild speculation online. And while there wasn't an alien invasion in New York City, we can report that the mysterious blue illumination scared many people while lighting up social media. It's not supposed to look like that in the night sky. The New York City skyline was mysteriously illuminated last night. Look, it's flashing. It's the sky. It looks like the end of the world or something. With a glowing shade of blue. What is that? Holy sh the sky was like such an eerie blue and everything. It was crazy. Sending many people into a confused panic. What the I said to my husband, we, we, have, we have been attacking. This is our terrorist attack. Heard like boom, 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 like that. As soon as I heard that, I got scared. Anyone have an idea what's going on in NYC right now? Turning others to social media for answers. It's like 
the alien tactics. It looked like a UFO coming from the sky. But the explanation for this blue light mystery was a transformer. Energy company Con Edison's Astoria Power Facility. It caught fire, causing power outages and transportation delays across the area. Flights at LaGuardia Airport were grounded and many terminals went dark. Passengers aboard planes could see the glowing blue lights from the sky and on the ground as planes waited to take off. It's insane and it's pulsating. Now to that transformer explosion causing chaos in New York City when these bizarre blue lights took over the skyline. The panic, even grounding flights at LaGuardia Airport. ABC's Gio Benitez is at the airport. How's it going, Gio? For a good half hour, this airport was entirely shut down. 14 flights diverted, more than 100 delayed. Those spectacular images instantly going viral overnight. Overnight, the New York City sky lit up in a supernatural shade of blue. Oh my God. What is that? That looks gnarly. Look at the sky. Well, that doesn't look good. Sparking alarm citywide. Oh my God. And I heard a giant bang. I thought it was fireworks going off. It looked like it was daytime. You look in the sky and it was bright blue. But what looked like a scene from an alien invasion movie turned out to be an explosion at a Queens power plant. The explosion and fire knocking out power in the area and wreaking havoc at LaGuardia Airport. And police are still investigating, but they say this was just a system failure, not terrorism. The FAA issued a ground stop for all flights. They temporarily stop letting aircraft land in New York. Authorities ruling out possible causes. This appears to be just a equipment malfunction. It is not to be any terrorism or sus suspicious activity involved. The NYPD even tweeting, we assure you aliens have not landed in the Bronx. Just this morning that they're trying to figure out exactly what caused this outbreak, what caused this incident this morning, and they're starting an investigation. Again, as I say all the time, BVS is practically prophetic, arising from its careful study and modeling of the real world. BVS captured the chaos, the effect on air travel, the investigation by law enforcement, and even the media coverage. So when something so accurately reflects real-world events before they even occur? Let's give the filmmakers a little credit in how they think about the world building or the decision making of its characters, showing real world consequences down to the details and particulars as specific as this, shows that the choices were carefully considered and not simply retroactively result oriented. Behavior in BVS is organic, even including regrets and the need to reverse course, not simply artificially guided by the filmmakers to predetermined destinations. You're the answer, son.